Several years ago, my wife and I uh, enrolled in something called Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. I don't know if you've heard of it. Have you heard of Dave Ramsey? Dave Ramsey is a Christian financial uh, uh, teacher and counselor. He gives people advice about how to get their finances kind of uh, more in line with what the Bible teaches. And, and the goal of this class is that when you're done with that, you may not be wealthy, but you'll have peace. You'll have financial peace. So um, that's kind of the idea of the class. And there were uh, some things we were already doing. There's some things we started doing. There's some things we, we may get to someday, and we'll probably have more peace as a result of it. But one of the things that stuck out for, for, from, for me from that class was this little little bit of wisdom he offered, which was, uh, don't loan money to your family. Ha, ha, have any of you, uh, just show of hands, who, who here has loaned money to their family? Okay, how many of you were repaid? Okay, a couple of hands, okay. Um, and that's why he says, he says, don't loan money to your family. He says, he says um, that uh, if you... If you make an outright gift to your family, if you're, if somebody in your family needs the money, then just give them the money. Don't make it a loan because what do you do when they don't pay you back? You don't have a choice. He says that by making it a gift, you've kind of got the, the forgiveness is built into the equation. And so it's not a problem. Um, because family is different. You know, if you're in the business, if you're a, if you're a lender, if, if you're in the financial industry and someone doesn't pay back their debt, there's, there's mechanisms. You, you, you can write it off or you can, you can sell it to a debt collector. You can do whatever you need to do. You can process that, that in a way that, that makes sense for your business. But with family, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to, you know, repossess whatever they bought with it or whatever. You know, it's harder with family. So, so he says there's times where you're just going to kind of build in the forgiveness, uh, up front. And so he says, make, make it a gift instead. And we're going to talk today about forgiveness. Um, and in particular, we're going to talk about the intersection of forgiveness and prayer. What does prayer have to do with forgiveness? We've been in this series of conversations about prayers and not kind of abstract teaching, you know, pray for this or pray for that, not uh, what time to pray or whether you should kneel down or stand up, not, not kind of instructions about prayer, but actual examples we can look at of people in the Bible, out of all the countless people down through the years who prayed, these are the ones whose prayer was actually recorded in the Bible. So we're looking at actual examples of actual prayers with the hope of learning something about them. And today we're going to learn uh, an amazing and awesome prayer of forgiveness um, uh, by, uh, prayed, prayed by Stephen. Um, this, this word forgiveness is in the, in the Bible. It's a very big word. It can mean simply debt forgiveness. Uh, what, it, what it actually means is to, is to let go of or to put, put away um, and so obviously that would make sense for something we talk about writing things off or something. It's that idea. But it's, but it's a very big word and it can mean, um, any kind of wrongdoing that's, that's suffered, uh, you can, you can put it away, you can, you can release it, you can let go of it. And that's what most of us have to deal with. I mean, uh, the thing about, the thing about financial debt, if, if you owe money or somebody owes money to you, there's a way of accounting for it. Because, because money, is is something you can count. You can you can put it in columns in a ledger, and you can make sure the two columns add up, and then it balances. That's that's the beauty of money is that you can you can get things exactly right. But so much of the of the debt that that we are owed or that we owe other people is not something you can measure. It's something that happens to us. It's it's uh, uh, 
some promise that somebody made to us that they would do this thing and then they didn't. Or an expectation we had where they allowed us to believe something was going to happen and they didn't. Um, we, we gave them our confidence and then they betrayed our confidence. They, they had the opportunity to say something good about us and they said something bad. They slandered us. There's, there's places where there's no real way to kind of weigh out what was the damage done and how can you get that back. You know, can you, can, if somebody slanders you, can you fix that by slandering them back? You know, it doesn't make you feel any better. Um, because most debts are not like money. You can't balance them out. In fact, in our language, if somebody says, I'm going to get even, we know they're not really going to get even. It's not like finances. What it really is, is I'm going to have vengeance, right? I'm going to, to make them suffer. And the hope is that the amount of suffering is, is roughly equivalent or maybe a little more, right? Why stop it even? That's the way the saying goes. Um, that, that, uh, that it's roughly equivalent to the amount of suffering we've had. So for us, get even doesn't really mean to get even. It means to get vengeance. And so really, those are the choices we're, we're left with so often. We're left with the choice of, of get vengeance or to forgive. And so what I want to do today is look at this passage of Scripture where we see somebody who just does a, an amazing uh, job of forgiving in a way that most of us would struggle to do. Um, and the reason, the reason I want to talk about it is because forgiveness is the right choice. If you're a Christian, that's not, that's not a question. You don't get to pick this. Jesus has made it, uh, uh, absolutely clear that forgiveness is the right thing to do. He says over and over again that we're to forgive. He says that the, the cup we, we measure with is the same cup that we will be used to measure, to measure back to us. He says if your, if your brother sins against you, uh, that you shouldn't forgive him seven times, but seventy times Seven times he says to be merciful as your father in heaven is merciful. If you're a Christian, there's no question you have to, you have to forgive. But it's not just Christians. Uh, all kinds of faiths uh, throughout the world, um, uh, Judaism, Islam, uh, uh, Buddhism, uh, Jainism, uh, uh, most of the world religions say the same thing. And in fact, what we're finding now is that secular science is discovering that forgiveness is the right choice. Forgiveness is the right choice. There's a, there's a man named um, Fred Luskin, and he is the director of the Forgiveness Project at Stanford University. And he says, when you forgive, somebody asked him, what is the single most important benefit of forgiving someone? And he said, the single most important benefit is you get a sense that even though life has been hard, even though something unfair and, and unfortunate has happened, you have the power within it to deal with it that basically it moves it from being something that happens to us to something that we then have control over. And then they asked him, well, what are, th- what are some other benefits? He said, um, forgiving lowers blood pressure. It reduces the strain in your heart. It reduces depression, anger, and stress, as, as well as making people feel more helpful. So there's actual positive health benefits that come from forgiveness. So it's not just, it's not just uh, uh, religion. It's not just Christianity. Uh, secular science is, is telling us Forgiveness is the right thing to do, but it's not always easy. So what I want to do is I want to look at this example from the scriptures of just this spectacular example of forgiveness and see what we can learn about it, and in particular, see how we can learn about the relationship of prayer and forgiveness. So we are looking at this story from Acts. Um, It begins in chapter 6 of Acts, and um, uh, Stephen is a uh, deacon. He's a table waiter. The apostles are out getting beat up in the temple, and they said, while we're doing that, we need somebody here to wait tables. We need somebody to make sure the food is distributed 
properly. So he and some other people are chosen as deacons, and they do that, but they very quickly branch out, and we read that Stephen was full of grace and power and did great wonders and signs, and that gets him into conflict. People begin debating with him. He wins the debates, and so they say, shut up, uh, and if you won't shut up, I'm going to shut you up. So they take him to court. They take him to the the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, and uh, he's put on trial there before the council. And um, uh, I, I kind of omitted everything except the opening questions. The high priest asks him, are these things so? And Stephen says, uh, uh, 50 verses of answer. He, and in this, in this passage, what he does is he kind of recounts the history of Israel. He talks about how God has called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that, that, uh, that he begins this relationship with people, but that there are bumps along the way. Uh, Jacob's son Joseph is sold into slavery in, in Egypt. If you were here last fall, you remember the story about Joseph the patriarch. We looked at that. Um, his brothers uh, try to, to kill him, and they end up selling him into slavery, and there's a whole adventure there. They wind up themselves in Egypt, and all of, all of the Israelites wind up in Egypt for a couple of centuries, and they become slaves in, Israel, in Egypt themselves. And God raises up a deliverer, Moses. He, uh, he reminds them, Stephen reminds them, how God has raised up this deliverer, Moses. But Moses was opposed by the Israelites, not by the Egyptians, but by the Israelites, not just before the Exodus, but after the Exodus, when they're wandering around in the desert. Moses is opposed by people, and he says, this is kind of all part of a package. This is who you are. And somewhere along the way, he kind of switches from us to you. Uh, 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 he starts talking about this is who you are. And then he concludes his his uh, talk by saying, you stiff-necked people, you you obstinate people, you're like an animal that won't, you know, you can't, you know, pull on the leash and make it go the right direction. You're stiff-necked, um, you're obstinate, you're uncircumcised in heart and ears. You have, you have undergone a physical circumcision, but it hasn't changed anything inside you. Your head and your heart are as, as, as unyielding to God as ever. You are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that receive the law as ordained by angels and yet you've not kept it. And this does not make them happy, as you might imagine. The scripture says that they, when they heard these things, they became enraged. They realized that somewhere in the course of this, this discussion that, that Stephen makes, uh, the tables have been turned. When, when he began talking, Stephen was the one on trial, but he winds up as the one making the case against them. He's presenting the case for the prosecution. He's saying, he's saying, this is your problem. You are the ones who are obstinate. You are the ones who are uncircumcised in heart and ears. And so they become enraged. It says they're cut to the heart in, in older translations. And um, Stephen doesn't notice because he gazes into heaven and he sees the glory of God, the, the Shekinah glory, this, this glory that, that is seen throughout the Old Testament in certain events. And uh, uh, Moses sees it on the, on the mountaintop. He goes up on onto uh, uh, Mount Horeb, and he, he uh, comes, uh, comes into the glory of God's presence. Um, later on in Ezekiel, the Shekinah glory departs the temple. And now um, Jesus, he sees the glory of God. He looks up into heaven and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God's throne. But they don't want to look. And, and I, I actually have wondered, what would have happened if they had turned their heads? 
If they had looked up, could they have seen it too? But they don't. Instead, they cover their ears, and with a loud shout, they rush against him. They drag him out of the city, and they begin to stone him. And the witnesses, uh, in Jewish law, the, the witnesses cast the first stone. It's the idea of um, only do this, only go through this if you're willing to actually throw the first stone. So they take him outside the city. They throw him. They, they lead him up to a cliff. It's got to be twice a man's height. And they push him over the edge, and they start throwing stones down on him. So that's the way the process works. And the witnesses go first, and uh, the witnesses lay their coat at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul's got a great story of his own. I encourage you to read it. Um, but uh, in verse 59, this is as brutal as it sounds. It says, while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed. Um, another translation puts it as um, that they kept stoning him while he prayed. So he prays two prayers. And the first prayer is, um, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And that's a good prayer. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very good prayer. Uh, he's dying. Um, I, think, I think there may have been other prayers that Luke doesn't tell us about. I think most of us would have prayed somewhere in here, uh, save me. We would have said, you know, God, you know, a little help would be very, very welcome here. We would have prayed a prayer, you know, save me, Lord. Um, we would have said, um, heal me from these injuries that are being inflicted on me. We would have said, God, we, we might have bargained. God, you, you saw how, you know, I had this great ministry. You were the reason I had this great ministry. Um, but however, however he gets there, whatever he prays before he gets to this point, Stephen has, has decided that he has no more future on, on earth. And so, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And that's a good prayer to remember because, because so far uh, everyone needs to pray it or, or gets into that situation at some point in their life. So you might keep that in mind. It may come in handy someday. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But what I want to look at is the second prayer. Because if the first prayer is what happens when, when Stephen gives up hope of a better future, the second prayer talks about Stephen forgiving. And forgiveness has been described as giving up hope of a better past. He realizes that the past is the past. That He's been arrested. He's been charged falsely. He's been given this mockery of justice and he's being killed right now. He's giving up hope, not of a better future, but of a better past. And so his second prayer is, do not hold this sin against them. And I want to contrast that. that that's 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 an un- unworldly prayer. That's a prayer we're not going to be able to pray most of the time. And let me let me give you an example of what a holy man of God prays. Um, in in chapter twenty four of Second Chronicles, last week we looked at chapter six of Second Chronicles. In chapter twenty four, there's a story about a man named Zechariah. He's the son of the high priest, and he his dad helps get this king into office. There was some complicated story there, but the king is not. Um, doesn't remember. The king is not faithful. So it says that um, they conspired against him. It's uh, starting in 21. They conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. King Joash did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And as he, Zechariah, was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. This is a holy man of God. And so he prays the prayer I think a lot of us would be, would be praying. We'd be saying, God, pay attention. 
God, see who's doing this and make sure that I receive justice in, in the next world. Or maybe uh, I'll be in the next world and these people can receive justice right here. Uh, I think that's what a lot of us would pray. And honestly, that's not a bad prayer. That's better than saying, I'm going to get my own justice. Because God knows everything. God is God is good and God will measure out an appropriate amount of justice. And, and that's something most of us can't trust ourselves to do. So that's a good prayer too. But Stephen prays this amazing prayer. He says, Lord, do not hold this against them. And I think what that really shows is that Stephen has forgiven them. See, a lot of the time when we pray that first prayer, when we pray, Lord, see and avenge, what we're really doing is we're saying, I will never collect this debt. But we're enlisting God to be a debt collector. And we're saying, God, you get my justice. And that has a place, but it's not forgiveness. What Stephen does is he forgives. He says, God, I, 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 want, to be, be, I want this to be behind me. So I'm forgiving them, and I want you to forgive them too. That's the sign he has truly forgiven the people who are killing him. The, 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 the prayer that he prays here is, is maybe beyond us, that, that maybe we say, well, I couldn't pray that. I, I, you know, if we picture ourselves in that situation where we've received this travesty of justice and we say, I can't, I can't get there. Maybe what we can do is we can say to ourselves, okay, I can't forgive. Not like Stephen. Stephen's outside my, my, my understanding. So what we can say is, but God is good at forgiveness. God is good at forgiving. So I'm going to ask God to forgive him. I'm going to ask God to forgive because God can do it and I can't. So I'm going to say, God, will you forgive these people? And what I think we'll find is if we do that, that God will begin working in us and help us to forgive too. If we can honestly say, God, I want to be part of Jesus' economy to the greatest extent that I can. I want to be part of this economy of grace and mercy and forgiveness. That as we ask God, at least God can forgive because he's good at it. That maybe God will help us become better at forgiveness as well. So what's the application? I think the application is this. A lot of us, maybe most of us, have someone that we need to forgive. We need to pray the prayer that Stephen prayed. And, and if you're one of... One of the people who needs to pray that prayer, you probably have a face in your mind right now. You know who you need to forgive. You know who has hurt you. You know who's betrayed you. You know who ruined your childhood. You know who ruined your marriage. There's somebody that you need to pray this prayer for. You need to pray the prayer, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And if you can't pray that because you have already forgiven them, Pray it anyway, because God can. God can forgive them. And maybe God can begin working in you so you can forgive them. And one last thought. I think for some of us, the person we need to forgive, the person we need to pray this prayer for, is ourselves. Because we were the ones who did it. We were the ones who made the mess. We were the ones who wrecked the marriage. We are the ones who destroyed the childhood. And there's nothing we can do now We've reached out, we've tried what we could do, and there's nothing we can do. Or maybe they've moved on, and it's we who can't move on. But whatever it is, 
Pray this prayer for yourself if you're in that situation. Pray this prayer. Jesus, do not hold this against them. I wonder, you know, Stephen was was the first martyr, but he was not the last. Uh, Pick up a newspaper. There's martyrs all the time. It's happening around the world today. People are being martyred for their faith. And I wonder, how could we continue to have martyrs, but have lost so much of the forgiveness that Stephen showed in his own martyrdom? I was reading just this week, James McDonald. I've got the James McDonald Study Bible. James McDonald, he's a megachurch pastor in Chicago. Uh, this was in Christianity Today on um, Saturday. James McDonald asks forgiveness for unbiblical discipline of Harvest Bible Chapel elders. Last year, there were some elders at his church who who parted company, and so they they uh, they uh, disciplined them in public services of worship. They said these people are satanic, and so a year has gone by, and uh, McDonald has apologized. He says, "For many months, we have labored under the awareness that our church discipline of a year ago." was a failure in many respects. And the elder board has now lifted all discipline from the former elders. And on Sunday, this is this past Sunday, McDonald apologized for the harsh language and said this, we made statements about their character and actions that were hurtful and proved to be untrue. We repent of this and asked for their forgiveness. So we can think about that as, how, how, how many people have been to that church? Maybe not Harvest Bible Fellowship, but a church where people were quick to condemn and slow to forgive. Wouldn't it be great if if our churches, this church and every other church, could become the kind of people that Stephen were? That we could become people quick to forgive, quick to pray that prayer. Imagine the healing that would happen in, in, in our families, in our communities, in, in the world, if Christians could be characterized not by a quick a quick condemnation and a slow repentance, but a quick forgiveness. Imagine if we could become that kind of people. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, forgiveness is so hard for us. It's so hard for us to let go of the past, to to realize that there's nothing we can do now to make our past better. And so we nurse grudges and we hold on to things, Lord. And we pray, Lord, you would help us to to appreciate all the benefits, spiritual and physical, that come from forgiveness. Help us to forgive the people who've hurt us. And when we need to, Lord, help us to forgive ourselves. But most of all, Lord, help us to become people who are forgiving, people who come to you routinely and say, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then, by your grace, help us to be like you. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.